You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Saving money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Hey there, listener. Welcome to the Deep Share Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rouse, and for the last couple of decades, I've slowly been opening my eyes to a very different world than the one I grew up hearing about. And the more conversations I have with interesting people, the more mystifying this world becomes. So without further ado, let's get deep. We've got science to celebrate. David's blissed out. Octopus, baby, come on! There is rebellion in the wind. It will be crushed. Everything I've said is true. It's real. Dinosaur fossils? I'll have to put those here to test our faith. That damn lie! I, I saw them with my own eye! Did I accuse just drop sharply while I was away? We did illusions, man. None of it is true. I'm not insane! This is mass madness, you maniac! In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion! Welcome back to the Deep Share Podcast, and this being the 100th episode, finally I got here. I wanted to have someone special on, so this is the third conversation between myself and Mr. Freddie Silva. Freddie, great to see you, man. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. You're looking pretty good for 100. I know. I'm, it's it's uh, it's the skincare, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, call, we call it fine scotch where I come from. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how you been? Oh, not too bad. Uh, been sort of uh, trying to do less traveling, and I ended up doing more traveling. I don't know how that works, but uh, yeah, sort of sitting down to try and catch up on things that have been needing to be caught up on for the last two years, including a, a three-part documentary on Egypt, which has been long overdue, which I sold to Gaia two years ago, and I'm only just now doing the first episode. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's so, great. To yeah, hear. it's good to be home uh, just for, you know, catch up with things. Yeah, absolutely. You spend so much time in the field and traveling, talking to people, kind of taking in the information. It's good to finally kind of be able to sit back and kind of let it all coalesce for a change, you know? Exactly. And I figured that after COVID, people uh, would be taking their frustrations out on the world. So I found traveling the last uh, year and a half been very frustrating and quite quite awful. I've seen the worst in human behavior. I actually saw a punch up at the Valley of the Kings between tourists Jeez. who couldn't be bothered to wait in the customary line to go into a tomb. And, uh, you know, of course, someone's going to get upset that you're cutting in. Uh, yeah, I've never yeah. seen people get angry at sacred sites. It's kind of sad. So, But I figured it would be like that this year. So. Wherever the crowd goes, I go the opposite way. So it'd be nice to sit at home and catch up on projects. That's a good call. Yeah, the past couple of years have been pretty uh, volatile out in the public. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter where you stand on certain issues. It's everybody kind of feels like they're in defense mode and attack mode and fight or flight almost, you know? Yeah. And, and I think uh, it's good. on the wrong people. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Especially noticing that at sacred sites, that's really, yeah, I've seen... I saw some video, I think it was down in the Yucatan or something, where some drunk woman just decided to climb the sacred steps of the pyramid or something like that. And I was really uh, relieved that there was hundreds of people, none of them on her side of it, and all of them yelling at her to get down. You know, it was it's at least the disrespect is still considered disrespect, you know, where exactly. it's. Oh, Actually, when I'm people kind start of impressed that she did that drunk. I mean, you can't even climb those things when you're not drunk. I mean, they're, uh, they, they weren't meant for uh, climbing up. They were meant for climbing down those st tall steps, I found. 
Interesting. Like with Yucatan, with like a Chichen Itza, the pyramids mm. entered from the underneath. You used to go rivers, which are all underneath. You used to go mm. on, on a boat. And then you used to go into the sacred cave and do your preparation. And then you go up this little sort of umbilical cord for the center of the, uh, the bedrock. And you find yourself inside the pyramid. And then you appear at the top. Uh, wow. And then the stairs were for coming down back to the uh, terra firma. So if you can do that drunk, I mean, that's quite an exceptional feat, I have to say. It's, that's very daring. <laughs> yeah. yeah <I'll> say. <laughs> the people have died, uh, you know, falling down those stairs because they take a selfie. And of course, it's all about them, not about right. the building. And they take one step back for that better, perfect Instagram shot. And next thing you know, they're meeting an unyielding surface 300 feet below and they're dead. And then they go shut them off. Yeah. You know, you mentioned something there that's all about them, you know, the selfie aspect of it. And there is, really is like the rise of, of severe narcissism going on out there, it <laughs> seems in some cases. And I wonder what's your perspective on the idea that this uh, influence of uh, kind of spiritual enlightenment or bettering yourself or looking within, it is spreading and more and more people are becoming aware of it. So do you think we're going to see kind of uh, it's it's interesting to see so many people that create content around those things are very egoic yet at the same time if oh, they're yes. going through that process themselves eventually they'll probably come out the other side do you think we're seeing like a we'll see like a i don't know a resurgence of more selflessness or do you think we're going off the deep end with this narcissism oh no i think it's always been there i i, yeah. I think change is, is the only constant it's always been there it's just that we're more aware of it because we have more media uh, to make us more perceptive of the full world before it was a very localized thing mm -hmm. no i think we've always been in times of chaos and in times of balance and it goes backwards and forwards just like the tide at the beach um, but now i think because we are so much more or we allow ourselves to be more surrounded with so much more noise uh, with, you know, the content to noise ratio is getting smaller. That That, that is definitely true, mm. uh, especially on social media, where people are getting their news from social media. God help us. Um, yeah. And um, so, but I do see that there's a more of a divide now between people in terms of those that are getting it and they're getting on, you know, and doing the right thing and minding their own business. And usually you don't get to hear much from them because they keep a low profile. Uh, because it's a personal thing, really. And they're right. adding to that sort of wonderful sense of change. And then you've got the other people who just don't get it and they never will. Uh, but that's the whole point of being here on earth. If we were perfect, we wouldn't have bothered to incarnate in the first place. Mm. I mean, think about it. Why, why, why come here? I mean, the place is imperfect, but that's right. the whole point yeah. is to come here and make yourself more perfect than you were before. And hopefully you succeed before you die, but also leave the place in a better state when you found it. And I think it's always going to be an experimental sandbox, uh, planet Earth. It always will be like that. It wasn't meant to be improved. It was just meant to be a place where we come and try out things. And hopefully uh, we do well as a result. But mm. I do see that sort of dichotomy. And it's really born from all the propaganda that's put through social media. I mean, like, um, I, and again, uh, you're talking to the wrong guy about social media because I only just got a cell phone a few years ago. I was stuck to my landline. I right, really don't yeah. like all of these things. I mean, I use Facebook as a advertising medium and for putting up jokes. Um, mm. And it works quite well. Uh, sometimes I have to share something important and it works really well. But apart from that, I did observe quite dispassionately how there was a lot of talk about Facebook being the face of evil and people were leaving to go. Uh, they said, well, go to Telegram. Well, Telegram is where the Kremlin puts its propaganda. And then, so, oh, no, you want to go to TikTok. Well, TikTok is where Beijing puts its propaganda. And it's all designed to pe put people in the West to fight each other on none issues. And now, of course, we're at that point. And I, even I have friends who get taken in by all of these, you know, divisive elements, be it uh, COVID or abortion or immigration, things that we all lived with before, but it was never a personal issue. Right. But that's become a divisive issue because of, of the influences in those social media aspects. And they're, and they're dividing us. And that's exactly what these political environments want the West to do, to fall apart by fighting against themselves. So that is the, 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 the where we are right now. But again, I also see a lot of great good around the world when I travel, more often than not, uh, even in places uh, which we find uh, very conservative by nature, like Ohio, I have people coming out of the woodwork, filling in entire holes. And I think, mm. where do these people come from? I had to look up the town on Google to find out where it was. I'd never heard of this town. 
and they come out and they're all doing exactly what we're talking about. So mm. there is good news back there, but it rarely makes the headlines because you just you just want to get on with your job and not attract too much attention sometimes and let you know let people who are a bit more ungrounded fight out amongst themselves. But it, it's human nature. Yeah. I think we'll get over it. It's also the sign of the times that we're also anchoring and imitating what's going on with the weather, with the environment. I think all of these things are playing out as mirrors of each other. Mm. Uh, we're at that time of big, deep change. And uh, as the, uh, any physicist will say, whenever there's a, a lot of chaos, there's a, there's a potential jump to a new level of order. Uh, so if mm. we're seeing a lot of chaos right now, it's actually quite encouraging as long as nobody dies in the process. Um, good luck. Uh, but yeah. I mean, it means that there's a potential jump for a new understanding uh, on the horizon. I think we're pretty close to hitting that critical mass in the next few years, but it will be tumultuous uh, if we don't hit that critical mass soon. Mm, yeah. And I know that you've talked often about cycles that nature goes through, that our solar system goes through, yeah. you know, possible fearful things that could, you know, come to us in the future. And it's almost as if, if you take a step back and look at the human race or consciousness itself as some sort of decision-making being, uh, it's like consciousness is gearing up almost to protect itself as in like this higher, this jump to higher order is maybe essential in a way, if the cycles and the warnings from the past might be true, yeah. perhaps it's an instinctual thing on like a very deep conscious level. I don't know. That's me oh, just flying up. No, I think mm. I think you're right, I, and I think the uh, one of the things that I pointed out was the reason why people used to build monuments with ridiculously large rocks, and when bricks would have done the job, right? And I think they were obviously built to last. And I mean, we've forgotten um, through this cultural amnesia that we have um, that we have been through thirteen near-end scenarios since the Great Flood, not just one, thirteen. And they're either solar flares, uh, massive earthquakes, asteroids are always coming down as meteorites and destroying mm -hmm. all kinds of things. So we've gone through this uh, before. We've been through these stages before. And the one thing that I find, which is very reassuring in the indigenous people's traditions, is that they were so attached to nature and the observation of cycles and what's flying around the sky. I mean, like the Maya had calendars, what, 52 calendars tracking up to 140,000 years of time. I mean, if you're a farmer, you don't need that. Right. You, you, you can get by with the solar and the lunar calendar for a year. Um, so obviously they're aware of what's coming in the cycle and our position within those cycles. And the idea was to be prepared. You can, you can mitigate the effect of the cycle by using you know consciousness and intent to lessen the impact, but they'll still be here. And of mm -hmm. course, luck favors the prepared. So if you know that there's a sure meteorite going to hit your part of the country, you're going to hide in a cave or something and, you know, prepare, have food, have water. And people used to do that and they survived and they moved on. And the idea was to a control fear and two, uh, be uh, connected to nature on all levels. So you understand the rhythm and you're part of the rhythm and you're able to ride out these events much more stoically than uh, other people and mm. not panic about it. Just accept the fact that you're part of a big machine and your place in it has a certain purpose. And I think that's one of the things that was also taught in the initiation schools, the same same concept, hmm. observation of nature, your contact with nature and a part of it and the control of fear. Uh, and uh, with those three things, armed with those three tools, you can't really go very wrong. Right. And, you know, this initiation school thing that, that I was just about to ask, do you think that these schools which obviously um pay homage and and consider sacred a lot of these ancient um ancestors of ours and what they wrote about do you think that some of these societies throughout time have been aware of these cycles as well and i know you've pointed to them and talked about them extensively do you think this is new information for everybody or do you think you know other than those ancients or do you think some of these schools have tried to carry on this knowledge not necessarily in a way to like keep it from everybody maybe i don't know but like just itself Ooh, just the, the maybe sure but like <laughs> at the same time it could just be you know our perception around it that turns it into conspiracy right i mean I'll, like you said earlier some people are just never going to get it and i find Absolutely. that like i've talked to a couple egyptologists who uh you know are very quote-unquote alternative about history or it's more like just a revealing of things not that weren't really popular before uh, instead of a 
um, you know, an alternative history necessarily, but a lot of them say the same thing. A lot of people aren't going to get it. They're going to be stuck yeah. in their old fears and this and that. And I wonder if you think that this is the mentality of these secret societies. And if that's a holy way to go about things like, well, most of the masses are just not going to get this. That's why we keep this secret. And do you, uh, yeah, I'm too much there already. So I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first line? Um, no, no. I mean, the reason why it was secret was actually very simple. And uh, I mean, I asked the same question years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, once you start doing a bit of deep research and, and making comparative observations, it actually comes down to a very simple concept. It's about, It was secret because a lot of this information is to do with the manipulation of energy and matter. Uh, the fact that we're all molecules and these molecules can affect other molecules because it's all based on electromagnetism. So mm. my thoughts and my intent, properly directed, can actually influence events. And there have been experiments at Princeton that actually prove that you can actually alter, uh, for example, the drum beat of a computer. And that's quite right. astonishing, using yeah. the mind. So the idea was that uh, you can't just give this to people who are going to abuse the information for their own nefarious purposes. And the way that uh, they uh, also taught things was by invitation. Uh, they would try out plays or uh, uh, songs full of metaphors and allegory. And most of the crowd would go, yeah, that's a great idea, I'll have another beer. Great, uh, they get an enjoyment out of it. You know, the story about a knight who goes chasing a woman in a burning tower, he has to rescue her from the tower, and mm -hmm. then he marries her and they live happily ever after. Yeah, on the first level, that's wonderful attainment. But th those people in the audience that are looking between the lines are going, wait a minute. Now, if I read that correctly, that sounds like a metaphor for this. And then someone in the crowd would say, well, would you like to know a little bit more? Said, Absolutely. Mm. Well, give me a few months of your time, join our mystery school, and we'll t teach you how this stuff came about. So it wasn't just about going out in the middle of a platform and saying, hey, I know the secrets of the universe. Right. You'd be stoned to death. Most people would think you're crazy. So the idea is you put it out there in a certain format. I mean, Star Wars is an obvious example in our era. It's all about yeah. the uh, overcoming of fear and the succumbing affair by Darth Vader, who eventually redeems himself at the very point of death. It's a story of Arthur and Jason and the Argonauts and Osiris retold again and again. So the idea was that you'd find out if these people who were coming into the mystery school had integrity, and then you could teach them about the real stuff, the real mechanics of how things work. And it used to take about three years mm. to uh, go through all the process. You really needed to have some spare time on your hands. Uh, and then you'd basically understand your uh, ability as a co-creator to interact with the world around you. And that requires a lot of responsibility and integrity. And that's why it was a secret. It was to keep a sort of a, a check and balance on people who were going to be using it for not very good means. That's really interesting, too, because from a more conspiratorial thinkers perspective we do constantly yell it all at everyone who would possibly listen to us and <laughs> over time we learn that this is not the way this doesn't work those who don't want to hear it are probably never going to hear it until they're ready or something exactly. happens to them so you know that is a, a much better way to look at that whole scenario for people that it's more of a hey well i don't want to impose on anyone this massive mind fuck you know i just want to let it you know let them come to me let them come to us perhaps exactly. yeah, yeah. it makes a lot of sense as well it's a very non-invasive way of doing things i mean it's mm. like if you look at the temple for example i mean i take people to temples all around the world and Egypt is always a great example. Uh, and mm -hmm. the tours are like sold out in five minutes as soon as I announced them, which is actually a very nice compliment. Uh, and we do a lot of work. We have a lot of fun and I spoil people rotten. But the idea is to me to show people that, okay, the first day you're there, cameras are clicking away and you're looking at the big pyramids and people are whining, why aren't we going into the big pyramid? I said, I wouldn't dream of letting you anywhere near, near that big pyramid until we've gone down the Nile and start at the bottom end and work our way up and find out what these things are doing for you and to you. If you're looking at the big pyramid, you're not in the right place. You're missing the big picture. The little pyramid is the most important one. And uh -huh. who pays attention to that one? Right. It's about eye candy, ego, Instagram. The small details tells you that you are much more interested in the subtlety of things, the less egocentric portion of things. And once you've got people onto that mode, 
five days later, they're looking at buildings in a completely different way. And then they're looking for details and information. And before you know it, by the eighth day, I'm hardly saying anything on tour. I let people walk in and they're figuring it out for themselves. They see their position within the temple. They're picking up information, visions, dreams, words, interesting meetings with uh, surreptitious meetings with people. Uh, and suddenly they realize they're part of something bigger. And I said, yeah, the point is that the temple is there to remind you of who you are. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it attracts your attention. And then you go in, you ask the right questions and the, and the answers are right in front of you. And they're usually within yourself as well. So they're like these mnemonic devices. And that's pretty much the same for uh, the mystery's teachings as well. It's about you finding your own way within yourself in part of this crazy thing called planet Earth and society. Beautifully put, man. Yeah. So that brings, uh, that's a good segue. I wanted to ask you about your recent travels and what you have been up to. I know you do a lot of tours and they are sold out extremely fast and everybody <laughs> loves them. And uh, you do them in many places. And I know you've been to Egypt recently. Uh, I'm just curious what you're, uh, you know, when you're not doing the tours themselves, what, where has your mind been taking you and where have you been physically going to look at new uh, possible things to write about? New yeah, topics. I never have a plan in mind. It's uh, it kind of finds oh, me. Um, I mean, I was just in Portugal as well, which is wonderful. Uh, I did a two back to back trips, and they were way too much fun. I think I still had a hangover ten days later, uh, <laughs> and I think that most of the people on the first tour had already been on tours many, many times with me. So it was like a big party, and oh, we got a cool. lot of work done, of course. But in the evenings and at lunchtime, uh, yeah, we know how to do it properly. And a lot of wine flowed. Uh, but at the same time, I also had a, a few days off just to sort of calm down and go walk about. And I found some incredible uh, stonework, beautiful megaliths in the middle of nowhere. Nobody there. Nobody, I mean, you really have to know where you're going. Uh, and uh, also hang out with the local uh, land uh, landowners and the farmers who are really nice. Mm -hmm. And one of them even remembers me going to his dolmen 25 years ago when I was much younger and I had hair. <laughs> and, uh, and we were remarking about how the land has changed and everything. And it was just a wonderful moment. And I, 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 I make notes at these places and I just put them aside for a little bit. And mm. suddenly by the time I'm home, I've got an idea for another project, which I won't mention what it is. Uh, so that's how, usually how it happens. Things coalesce. And it's my relationship with the environment and the temples that has that effect. I get most of the information just from, uh, I, I dare say this, talking to large upright rocks. They are my cool. closest friends most of the time. They never let me down, and I never take mm -hmm. them for granted. But I can just sit next to a tall stone or a dolmen or something, just sit there and say, what's this about? And expect nothing in return. And before you know it, all of these ideas, visions, things, themes start popping in. Just I'm sitting there having a, a sandwich or a drink. And before I know it, I've got half a page written of information, and then uh, it starts connecting with other things that I'm watching. Uh, initially, that's how the projects begin. It's, uh, it's a sort of a, a process which I still don't understand after all of these years. Mm. Um, but that's kind of where I'm headed at the moment. Uh, and I'm also going to take a, I'm gonna try to take a year off. Uh, I've been doing this for 20 years without stopping. I've had one holiday, <laughs> one wow. holiday in 20 years. Um, and I hopefully find a girlfriend as well, which is really useful. Uh, I think I'm, I'm like a moving target, so it's very difficult. But no, you I are, man. Go, yeah, yeah. I want to go and try places like Iceland and go back to Sardinia, uh, Brittany as well. I need to go back to Brittany and do some work there, and go walk about uh, uh, without an agenda or just mm. a mild agenda, and see what pops up. Right. Because sometimes, uh, and I think you brought it up earlier, I think you get lost within yourself and, you know, the ego gets a little bit inflated once you start getting all this adoration. And uh, luckily oh. <laughs> I've, been, I, I've had all the uh, good teachers to remind me of the signs when you realize you've lost the plot. And it's been very good advice. Uh, but it's good to come back down to earth a little bit. Yeah. And just, be, yeah. you know, put your feet on the ground, just be a normal person walking around and just asking questions. And as soon as you do that, new things pop out of the woodwork. Uh, there are people, for example, I was just coming out of a, a restaurant in Portugal, uh, middle of nowhere in this very agricultural little place. And she had four uh, massive Labradors, which is in, in that heat is quite something. Uh, so, of course, everybody's playing with the dogs. And then we just started chatting about megaliths. She says, oh, I've got uh, some very interesting things on my property and not many people know about them. Not even the archaeologists. Are you coming back? I said, well, I'll probably be back here next year. 
Well, you just ask for the lady with the four dogs and they'll know who I am and where I live. And I'll go and show you. We'll go walk about on the property. And there you are. Now you're onto something else. Right. And then you'll meet someone whose grandfather has the history and the folklore of the area. Now you're adding on to that story. And it, before you realize it, you've got a whole project on your hands. Um, my last book on Scotland was exactly like that. I was just curious about where the Scotland megalithic culture came from. I had no idea it would end in Sardinia. Right. It would have me learning Armenian and understanding <laughs> migration patterns in 6000 BC from Armenian all the way through France, all the way to Ireland and Scotland. And that's how they came together, which basically revolutionizes the whole way that we thought about the megaliths in Britain. They didn't come from the south. They came from the north and came southwards. That was a big revelation. So everything that you see in Scotland and Ireland is much older than what is in England. Uh, and again, and also Wales as well, uh, the whole Welsh culture being of Armenian origin, including the name of the country itself. It's a, it's a county that still exists in Armenia today. And again, you can't just make this stuff up. You just follow these little trails of connections and things. And before you know it, you're in a completely different, different planet. So that's why I like what I do. It's um, you never know what to expect and you don't expect anything and great things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let it all find you. And uh, while you've definitely found a lot in Scotland and connecting all that, we talked a lot about that the last time we spoke. I even called the episode They Came From the North because that was the thread <laughs> I was on already anyway. And the last chapter of your book really uh, thrilled me because it, it was connecting to a lot of other areas of uh, not only um, – you know, anthropology, but also folklore and mythology and what it yeah. suggests about. And I tend to, you know, call me crazy, but I tend to look at that folklore and those oral stories, you know, partially from your inspiration as, you know, I take it a lot more serious than academia tells us to. Mm. Um, I'm curious, is that making any progress? Like I've, I've always noticed and taught, we've talked about how a lot more people are more interested in their, their own uh, internal, uh, whatever you want to call it, their spirituality, their connection to themselves. When it comes to history, where I'm completely obsessed, do you see anything changing at all when it comes to mainstream legacy history, like academia? Is anyone budging <laughs> on anything? Or is that kind of a realm that's always going to be just called revisionist and alternative and pseudoscientific or is there any leeway being made in that category in your eyes some people you can't help <laughs> um, <laughs> right no you do uh, oddly enough if you get these people off the uh, record and uh, the cameras aren't in front of them mm -hmm. a, a lot of them do have very different opinions on what's really going on it's just that they're not allowed to for their own benefit because they'll be ostracized and they'll never publish they'll be kicked out of their university posts. Mm. They have to follow the same boat of thought. Otherwise, it's like a mafia. They're literally right. like an organized crime uh, syndicate without the fact they don't kill people. They just basically uh, kill them with words online and they destroy their careers. Uh, it's a very vicious group of people I've come to, to find, very nasty. And I had no idea. I thought they were all very well comported because they went to university, but they're not, they're vicious. Uh, and some of the attacks on me and uh, Graham Hancock, for example, he gets the uh, the lion's share of all of that. Uh, all we're trying to sh point out is, well, what you're presenting is an opinion based on educated guess. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. And we're doing exactly the same thing. The difference is, as independents, we have the right to push the boat out a little bit further. We can talk to geologists, we can talk to climatologists, people who do DNA research, migration patterns. We take in everything. You guys are looking here. Okay, you don't want to talk to the uh, climatologists, but climate tells you what was going on uh, as a, a remark of how they built this and what led them to build this in the area in which they built it. Uh, the archaeoastronomy uh, angle, for example, when if you follow the folklore and the traditions of wisdom keeping, your temple is always consecrated at a specific time when there's a certain astral object in the sky. Once you understand the folklore, that it's a record-keeping method, you can tie the folklore to the actual temple, do the astronomical alignment, and that gives you a very precise date when it was constructed. Well, mm -hmm. that, that's what we do. We look for a much bigger pot to, fit, to fish from. 
and uh, we're able to come up with much more rounded um, ideas, even though at the end of the, uh, the day, they're still hypotheses, because it's very hard to prove this stuff. Uh, I mean, right. let's, let's face it. I mean, unless the only people who knew the truth were the people who built this. Okay. Uh, mm. Even if it was built yesterday, the only people who built, uh, let's say, the Chrysler building in New York are the architects. And unless you get into their head and you talk to them, you won't know. You're guessing. You're second right. guessing. Well, we do that too. But we hope by drawing from a bigger pool of information, we can be closer to the truth. And that's what separates us from all these other to quote the late John Anthony West, quackademics. Quack uh, and, uh, and they can't stand it. But I do see that once in a while, if you get them off camera, uh, a lot of them are much more in our camp. And I okay. have observed recently that uh, there was a couple of articles in Live Science where they actually start talking about the astronomical alignment of temples. You know, and so, wait a Whoa. minute, didn't we come up with that 100 years ago? <laughs> right. And wasn't uh, yeah. that all just mumbo jumbo? Woo -woo, yeah, right? once they, uh, they're, they're watching what we're doing and until they can learn and one of their kind writes a paper that's peer reviewed and then they get the credit, then they can talk about it and they'll take credit. For mm. example, I'll give you a really, really great one. Uh, one of my closest friends is a, a, a natural psychic. I mean, this is a woman whose ability runs through her family to the point where she actually works with the police to solve crimes with a oh, very, very high level of accuracy, by the way. And she's a normal person. You wouldn't know that this woman has an incredible ability. Uh, and um, she was she's also an amateur archaeologist. And she would sometimes suggest to the people in England, uh, well, why don't you dig over there and you'll find if you do some, you know, results and tests and things, you might find that the post holes around Stonehenge are much older than you think. They may, may go back to about 8000 BC. Mm. So they'll say, okay, crazy lady, bye bye. Okay, let's go and check the uh, post holes and do some uh, DNA and some carbon 14. Well, it took them 25 years to do the carbon 14 on those post holes around Stonehenge, and guess what? 8,000 BC exactly. Uh, and that's when the alignments start taking place in their original form. So yeah, uh, we do sort of draw from that sort of thing. But until they learn to do it by themselves, and mm -hmm. take, they, then they take credit, but they'll never give us credit. It, it's a political thing. And it's kind of a, a game. It's, it's a childish game. And uh, hopefully they'll see the light. Um, but at the moment, it's it's not likely. <laughs> well, and of course, this is a you place where a, a lot of people do jump to conspiracies. And I have definitely in the past as well. And I still do sometimes. But at the same time, I learned this story about this, these monkeys that were put into a cage and one uh, or they were there was a piece of food put in the corner and they had to climb up and get it. But every time they went for it, they were sprayed with a hose. So eventually they start switching out monkeys, but this process has been continuing where like if a monkey jumps up to grab the food, even the other ones will, will tackle it and won't let it get the food because it knows they're all going to get sprayed. And eventually they switch out the monkeys. So no one even knows that that's the end result, but they just know that they're going to get attacked if they go for the food. Yeah. And it just, so Poor I almost monkeys. look at academia, like it's not necessarily some specific group. That's like keeping specific aspects of history secret necessarily. It may have been that way at some point, And it's just kind of yeah. carried over now into what's what they consider professional behavior in those realms. Maybe. I mean, it really goes back to the time when the church really controlled all of that. I mean, remember, right. the church was uh, making sure that the earth was flat for about 600 years. And mm -hmm. if you said otherwise, you'd find yourself in a very, well, a bit of a, a roasting sensation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. So, right. and then, of course, when archaeology starts coming up, uh, archaeology is actually a very uh, infant uh, institution. It's only got about 150 years behind it. And even then, a lot of the archaeologists were funded by local vicars and bishops who wanted to prove that the earth was was created in August the 16th, 4004 BC. So you can see how the bias went. So they're, they're working out of that. But mm. it really comes down to the fact that uh, it's a very narrow band of opportunity in terms of uh, uh, employment and uh, money. So you don't want to rock the boat of the institution. You don't want to rock the boat of your of your peers. Mm. Uh, it really comes down to that. There's no real conspiracy apart from the fact that once you stake your reputation on having written a peer review paper that everybody agrees with, whether it's right or wrong, um, then you don't really want anyone to rattle that ivory tower. And we are rattling that ivory tower because we'll say, 
that's a great story, but wait a minute, uh, there's a couple of cracks in the foundation uh, that we found and they can't handle that. Well, mm. any good theory should stand up to good scrutiny. And the idea is to keep the, the hypothesis fluid. I mean, there's been a couple of times in my work where new information suddenly comes out of the woodwork and I go, wow, that's pretty cool. Now I can alter that hypothesis to something else because the yes. theory was good up to that point. Okay, right. so that's called right. science, by the way, and I'm not even a scientist. Uh, good science is you take the information that you have available and you form your hypothesis. Now, someone just says, hey, I just dug up something. Great. We can change the hypothesis or we kill the hypothesis and we move right. on to the, to the new information. That's how you do it. You don't attach your, uh, your, your ego to the, uh, the outcome because it's bound to get flattened down. And that's where they, they fall on their faces. It's right. the fact they can't move beyond the fact that they wrote something about you know, the Great Pyramid being a uh, burial chamber. And all the locals were saying two and a half thousand years ago, no one was buried in the big building. The little ones, yeah. Uh, you can find the bodies, but there's no body inside the pyramids. Go down to the Valley of the Kings. We'll show you a place of burial. I'll tell you a really funny one. One of my favorite little pyramids is uh, the, uh, of Unas, uh, which has got the entire texts of how to go into the other world and come back into your body and continue your living daily life. And this was a, a part of an initiation process that was done on the, uh, usually about the 13th year of, of the Pharaoh's reign, but it was open to anyone that was curious. And yet, Unas is buried in the Valley of the Kings, which is 400 miles away. So how can this pyramid be his burial place? Right. You see what I mean? I mean, it's yes. simple logic. The guy is obviously buried there. So <laughs> why would he have built himself a building to bury him, not to bury himself in? Right. Or the Pharaoh Sneferu, who built three pyramids. The guy has one body. He's not going to be chopped up into three places and have parts of his body in different buildings. It doesn't mm -hmm. add up. So, and that's, I think that's what, what we're good at doing it. We're not invested uh, in that story. We can, you know, we can free associate and come up with much more, hopefully, concrete ideas. That free association, that very uh, liberal arts mentality, you know, the trivium kind of talks about that too. That's like a principle of life to be, you know, you don't have to be a polymath, but be a poly subject, you know, be, yeah. be someone who is a worldly educated person. And I think that you're right. That's, that is the key. The independent thinkers, all of us are so fascinated by every aspect of the mystery and it's like that old school, maybe church controlled at one point society, the mentality of get into this very specified degree and career and pathway. It's the same compartmentalization that goes on behind closed doors and black projects and the Pentagon exactly. and things like that. Everybody gets a little piece. So no one knows what they're really working on. It's crazy. It's and it's kind of, kind of how society has been set up. <laughs> I think Dante had it right with the divine comedy. The whole thing's a big joke. <laughs> if you if you view society, if you stand back a little bit and watch society through a, a plate glass window, it's actually really comical. Mm. Uh, and I mean, I often found myself doing that during COVID when I was traveling quite a lot, actually. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of hurdles, but uh, my God, it was great fun. I actually remember being at Heathrow Airport Terminal 5 having coffee with the security because they were bored. I'm the only person in the entire terminal. We were just shooting <laughs> wow. the breeze. And uh, I thought, yeah, it's like you sort of watch things through a certain plate glass window. It is kind of comical unless you're, you know, really, you know, tied up into the minutia of every time details as they are, of course. And they were just giving me the most strangest things that people had done, trying to shove the most extraordinary things through security, like an acetylene torch and, uh, and, and with, a, with a gas bottle. I mean, through security, really? Wow. And I said, you should write a book about this because you'd be a bestseller, you know? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, and sure I said, that's no, true. Years. I mean, if, you, if, we, if we attach such an importance to this in our daily job, we go crazy. Sometimes you have to just step back a little bit and pretend that you're watching yourself interacting in the real world, but you're not in your body and you're going, this is really quite insane. And then actually life becomes very tolerable and kind of fun because, right. you know, it doesn't mean that you don't take responsibility for what you're doing. I mean, we are here, you have to engage. But at the same time, it does give you that sort of distance. Uh, the, the distance gives you the ability to see the bigger picture and you have a degree of control over the outcome, I've noticed. I mean, at least in my life, 
I, I've uh, become that way. I, I observe dispassionately and see what goes on around me. And I find that I'm actually much more calm about things. I don't know why. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a robot or something. I don't know. But I do well, find it's... that life becomes much more entertaining uh, mm. when you just take a step back for a little bit and don't be so emotionally engaged with it. I mean, that's, that's maybe that's good advice. I don't know. I think it is. And I think it's not it's not even just your advice. It's it's the advice of sages throughout the ages. Right. I mean, this idea of transformation, this idea of a glimpse to the other world, mm -hmm. this idea of, uh, well, quote unquote, enlightenment, which for me has has meant more grounding than flying away or ascending. Yeah. It's it's more about grounding to me. But all of these things kind of uh, re-equip us with this kind of uh, very baseline knowledge about the world it seems and i'd love to hear more about your 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 talks on on uh this transformation through building temples on your own property and things like that i know i wanted to get into it with you last time and i don't think we had time for it and i i was just curious about that and in connection with you know what you show people in these temple tours too that you know you can have this in your own life in a very mm -hmm. easy way yeah, I mean, I'm a very practical person when it comes down to it. And I uh, I can talk about all the spiritual stuff uh, until the cows come home, and it's great. Mm. But at the end of the day, I was thinking, well, wouldn't it be great if you could rebuild uh, these temples, a Stonehenge or a pyramid in your living room or in your garden? And uh, and suddenly I realized I had the information, you know, in my possession. I'd just been observing it for years. And I finally watched every temple that I was going to, and I realized they can be literally stripped down to seven essential ingredients. And once you understand what they are, they're really simple. Uh, it's just it takes you 15 years to work it out. Uh, and uh, I, I, was, I started to teach this, uh, usually as workshops, a uh, whole day. You bring in a big stone or a big rock or a crystal, and I'll say, right, um, do you think that this piece of rock is dead? And people go, oh, yeah, just rock. Okay. And you start dowsing around it and there's an energy field around the rock. And I said, well, why don't you show the rock a piece of affection, send it a thought of affection and the energy field suddenly doubles and the people went, hello. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing with a plant or a person. You mm. people react to love, you know, they really do. And um, you can do this with a rock or a crystal. And if you arrange it in a certain way and manipulate the local magnetic field, because you are magnetic beings, um, then you can actually recreate the same concept of a Stonehenge in wherever it is you live. I mean, I live in one right now in this apartment. You can't see it, but it's here. And wow. people, when they come here, they'll sit exactly at the center of the energy field and all the places they could sit uh, and they could put park their bum on, they'll go to exactly where I know the energy field is and they'll go, it feels really good, this apartment. And I, I won't say a word, I'll let them pick up on it. So right. it's something that's reproducible on a smaller scale. Uh, and in fact, I just did two jobs this week, uh, teaching people how to uh, hardwire uh, these the stone circles on their property, one in Florida, of all places. It's going to look really cool. And their neighbors probably won't talk to them ever again. But of the course. point is that they want to be much more connected to the grid, and they will be. So the mm -hmm. idea was to, um, the fact that we stopped building sacred space technically in the using the right elements over the last 2000 years, mm. Gothic cathedrals accepted. Um, we've kind of lost track of that grid. We're no longer part of the grid and we, we are disconnected, which brings us back to the point, why is society today feeling so rootless and so disconnected and so at odds with each other? Well, it's because we're disconnected with the environment. And the idea is to build these temples. I'm trying to build about a million of them around the world quietly. Mm. So I used to teach people how to do it in workshops. And now I have a video that goes with it. Yep. And then I also teach people about what was really the purpose behind all these temples, which was to enlighten you to the fact of the bigger picture of who you really are. You're not really, the body is not who you are. You are a soul inhabiting and traveling inside a physical vessel and your soul is what's important. Okay. Mm. Once you understand your soul and the purpose of the soul and the techniques that allow you to leave the body and come back with the right information, then you're in control of your destiny. You're in control of the manifestation process. You can live your life aware and make the better use of your 72 plus years that you hear on the planet and leave as a better person. That's what the whole initiation and the whole temple building process is about. 
It's about to help you remember where you came from and who you are. So when you say it like that, it's like, oh, that's pretty boring. I don't think I'll bother going to Egypt this year. <laughs> but that's the whole thing of it. Boring things actually tend to be the most important uh, ideas in our life. That's uh, and too, I yeah. think that we are missing so much of that in our daily life that uh, I feel that it's uh, not my duty, but it's certainly from personal experience and seeing how I've improved in the process of the last 30 years to teach that to other people. I can say, well, that's happened to me. It might be useful to you as well. And if you're right. interested, I'll tell you, but I'm not going to shove it down your throat. So I'm kind of redoing what, you know, uh, what, what, what I was uh, preaching in the first place. Right. Uh, and it really was about teaching people uh, how to empower themselves. And, it's, and some of the feedback that I get is really uh, not, um, uh, well, I'm not surprised, but at the same time, I am because I, I see how it really improves people's lives. Uh, for example, in, in this my entire apartment, the only place where I can physically put this desk, where I can get some work done, and I feel really good here, is because there's an electromagnetic line that goes right through the building. And it's linked to my other apartment that I used to live in two blocks away, oddly enough, oh. which used to be an Abenaki sacred site, of course, because they picked up on the same thing. <clears throat> so I wouldn't be surprised if there was a stone circle there in the old days in downtown mm. Portland, Maine. So I'm actually feeding the grid, and the grid is feeding me while I'm working at this very moment. Uh, so wow. it's funny how these things work. Uh, it's like I, I picked this building because I felt something here. It's a nice place. I had to renovate it quite a bit, but there was something about it. And once I, I sat here without the realtor, I thought, okay, this is the same energy line that's feeding into my apartment right now across the street. Uh, and this is probably the reason why I was attracted to the building in the first place. So if you're lucky, uh, that will happen in your daily life. But uh, if you're not, then these are the techniques that you uh, are available that helps you recreate that environment so that you can be empowered to become, as they called them in the old days, a god. Right. Yeah, that's you know, it's right back to that self selflessness thing I was mentioning, how, you know, it kind of comes with the with the territory. Once you have been initiated, there is that desire to share this and share. Yeah share a lot, you know, but help people get there. And like I was saying in the beginning, a lot of us yell things and think that everybody wants to hear it, but you know, I think you've got the right way to do it. You know, you let them come to you in that regard. You know, I think that's exactly. really cool. Yeah. You know? I mean, like, uh, I mean, Gandhi did it very well. I mean, he just said, uh, you know, just be the change you wish to see, right. build a garden, do it the way you want it. Don't worry about the hecklers. And your neighbor on your left will go, hey, that's a great idea. Do you mind if I copy that? No, please go ahead. And then the next one, I will want to shoot you or set fire to your garden. And that's okay too, because you, but when, when you create greatness, you'll attract its very opposite too. That's how things happen here on the planet Earth. Uh, so many people in the spiritual realm are always astonished to find, well, I thought I was spiritual and lighty-lighty, but I keep attracting all of these negative things. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. because by its very nature, all, all light attracts darkness uh, by its uh, by its own uh, by the law of attraction of opposites, but it's also attracting and connecting to like energy. So you're going to get both, and the trick is to be aware of that. Uh, and again, right. it's it's all down to uh, how you work this and how you behave and how you take the direction of what you learn in order to help others on their way up as well. And if you can leave the place and other and people you know, 1% better than when you found them when you arrived on the planet, you've done really well, you know? Right, it's not an easy job to do that. It's never an easy job, but the boot chose this. I mean, like I said, if you were perfect, you wouldn't have been incarnated as a soul. You wouldn't need, feel the need to come here. Right, and I no see desire. that a lot in channeled material uh, and, and even clinical psychologists like uh, Michael Newton, who mm. also did a lot of uh, past life regression work. He was a genius. And uh, he found the same thing. Yeah, mo most of the guys that we have, and we all have them, uh, they said, well, we've already done it and got the T-shirt. Uh, we don't need to incarnate anymore. We feel that we've accumulated trillions of years of, of energy and information and experience. We don't need to do it anymore. Now we're guiding younger souls like you, and one day you'll be in our place guiding other souls who are being born into the universe. Mm -hmm. And the reason why you're down here is because, well, you're not perfect yet. You've gone down there to have a good challenging time or an easy time, depending on what you've chosen, uh, in order to further your progress as an individual entity. And when you physically die, you come back to the collective and you have that wonderful dichotomy of, well, it's good to be back with friends and family and everybody's together. But you know what? We're a bit too close. That's the one thing that, that differentiates us 
from the spirit world. In the spirit world, everyone's tied with these electromagnetic sort of lines of force. They're mm. one element. They're kind of like the Borg in a good way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're a Star Trek fan, you'll understand this. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like the Borg, the collective, <laughs> but in a good way. You're feeding off each other and helping each other. And mm. then you get fed up and you think, you know what? I wish I was back on Earth because I want to be an individual again. But then you right. come down here and you're born and you go, I feel so disconnected. <laughs> and you spend your whole life listening to podcasts and going to conferences or reading books to try and reconnect yourself right. with the source. So again, it's a, it's a big divine comedy, isn't it? It really is. Absolutely. I mean, you're just mentioning that. And I, all I could think of was like the concept of the prodigal son returning, yeah. right? Like <laughs> we all go out and then we return to the one, you know, I've been getting really into Walter Russell's work, which of course oh, yeah. he's considered pseudoscientific, right? But then you look at the finer details that no one wants to really find out about and you find out, Oh, even Einstein was like really regretting that he never spent time with Walter yeah. Russell's work about the universal one and everything. And it's like, wow. we're, yeah, our egos as humans are just running. Yeah. Yeah. He's such an interesting guy. You know, he's, but yeah, just that concept of the universal one, it kind of uh, resonated with what you were saying there was that, yeah, in this spiritual space, it feels very, you know, this unity, right. That we all talk about, but experiencing it firsthand is much different and it's almost like yeah like the concept of god is some culmination of consciousness that wants to go off on its own when it gets bored or something <laughs> a friend of a friend and i talk about that a lot that godhood the idea of that everlasting uh eternity of everything and it's like oh okay enough of that drop me back into human drama or something along those lines. It seems like a natural process of some Which sort. paradoxically you know? is part of the same drama as the creator. You know? right. yeah, I mean, exactly. the way I've come to understand it, the more I uh, listen to indigenous people and all of their mm. wisdom, that, you know, in case of the Aboriginal people in Australia, it goes back a million years. Yeah. I mean, they remember things that fell out of the sky a million years ago. That's incredible. Yeah. And they're saying, you know what? Here's the funny thing. God is not, as you white people uh, take it, you know, it's like a, some guy sitting on a throne with a big beard dispensing bad news let's face it god is always dispensing bad news in the bible mm. and, uh, and by the way yahweh is the bedouin god of war for anybody yes. who follows the yahweh and the uh, yehovah and all of that not a good way your religion is not going to end in a good place if the head of your religion is the god of war right. i'm just going to put that out there uh, and i said well no god was really a force of nature it's the element that resides in everything so a, a water has a god a plant has a god a, a cell phone has a god a light bulb has a god if you understand how the light bulb works in and out and how to manifestate manifestate that and work with it and alter that energy you become as the god of the bulb mm. that's all it is so essentially you have this creative being at the center of everything that we probably will never know what it is. Uh, and then it expresses itself in billions of ways and we're part of that expression. So we're actually communicating our experience back to the source, which is us. Yes. Yes. The source, again, it has this paradoxical relationship with itself. I've created everything because I know everything, but paradoxically, I need to discover myself because I don't know what I've created. So it sends yeah. us out to find out through us what it's created. <laughs> yeah, at that point, your head starts hurting. It's unreal. <laughs> that's like, I that's love how you put that, though. <laughs> it's, a, it's a feedback loop in a way. It really is. You know, goes, for I, listeners out there, read Douglas Hofstadter's I Am a Strange Loop because that book made me put everything metaphysical down for like eight years. I was like, I need some fiction right now. My brain's about to explode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's been really great catching up with you again. It always is. Uh, you know, I had little to no agenda of what really to talk about. I knew it would just kind of flow casually as it does, man. And I really appreciate all the work that you're doing oh, and you. I'm excited to see what you come up with next, man. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so, so please. Am I. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's uh, one hell of a process, man. Yeah, I'm going to try. I'm going to attempt to have a year off. I'm, I, I know yeah, I do it, it, man. You deserve yeah, it. You work all the it. time. And you're not going to let yourself. You're going to have a good time. And your your brain's just going to be going the whole time, you know? I know. <laughs> I actually something. sat in New Zealand with my then girlfriend. Uh, and I mm. I was actually hoping to have moved to New Zealand by the end of the year to this year. But things didn't work out the way I'd, I'd hoped. You know, mm. you got two people... And one of them is on the same level. There's nothing you can do about it. Right. So I'm a bit disappointed and depressed about it, but I'll get over oh. it. 
But um, I did take one year off in New Zealand and I, I actually managed for four weeks not to try and think of anything. And of course, that didn't work out too well. Uh, I actually had to spend a few days examining something, one of their oldest sacred sites on Earth, which I didn't even know existed down there. And I ended up writing a whole book around it. Uh, so it just shows, you know, but I will make an attempt to uh, behave myself. And uh, like I said, if I can put this three part series on Egypt, uh, down by September and uh, put it up uh, on uh, Vimeo and Gaia. I'll be very happy because it's a long way overdue. Uh, it's been building up for a long, long time. So that'll be my, my next big thing. Yeah, I'm very excited when that drops. That'll be great. That'll be excellent. And then also on July 15th, you have an event going on too. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Is it the 15th? God, I think it's July it? 15th. I could double check your God. <laughs> but that's about the transformation and the yeah. other world, right? Yeah, I'm going to go back to uh, West Virginia, which I actually find to be a very interesting part of the country. Uh, oh, a lot yeah. of uh, talks of giants and giant mounds. Mm. Hardly anyone's buried in these places, of course. The mammoth uh, caves the are right there, too. Yeah. Hey? Go ahead. Yeah. Exactly. There's a lot of uh, yeah, the old uh, Alawani that, that would live there, very tall, eight foot tall, giant people, humanoids who mm -hmm. came from a sinking island in the middle of the Atlantic during a global flood. And the Cherokee picked up on this story when they moved across America and they said, yeah, we could have bumped into them by the time we got to Appalachia. And they were once part of an incredible race of people, uh, master astronomers and navigators, and they couldn't breed with humans. They had to interbreed and they just turned to alcohol and killing each other and they'd lost hope. They had lost hope. They knew they were going to die. So we inherited all their traditions into ours so that we could maintain their story. And we named the river after them called the Allegheny. And wow. I thought, why don't we teach this at school in America? It's wonderful. Right. You know, religion has nothing to do with it or creationism or anything. This is part of our history here. And it's indigenous mm. tradition, people who were here before us. And it's good to hear from their point of view what was happening. So yeah, so I'll be going to West Virginia and uh, not talking about that, but um, I'll be talking about uh, something that I wrote earlier in The Last Art of Resurrection, mm -hmm. go back to the concept of initiation and why some buildings are different from the others and what was going on in these caves and these boxes, which I won't call sarcophagi, and mm -hmm. why the process would take three years to learn these secrets and why it was such a dangerous thing to do. I mean, you had a, an induced near-death experience in order to experience yourself. That's quite something. And uh, people like Pythagoras did it five times. You couldn't get enough of this. The fact that they'll say, Some are people, you sure man. you want to go into the box? Yes, you've done this a couple of times. You know how dangerous it is. Yep, give it to me. And uh, like the Leonardo da Vinci, he said, uh, yeah, it helped me shape my metaphysical doctrine, understanding who I am as a soul, going literally being in the other world. Not, and he didn't take a drug. You take a poison, big, big difference. So you have an induced near-death experience. You leave for about three days. You come back into the body and you go, that was interesting. And you remember everything. Uh, so I can see the, the, uh, the draw of this, that the fact that it helped you become a much more conscious being. Now, Isaac Newton hinted that he had also gone through the same process. And a lot of the people that I discovered who had gone through the process, like Plato, um, they said, yeah, it's uh, definitely the only place where you'll find truth is in the other world, but you have to go there for this torturous journey where you may not come back if the uh, shaman looking after you messes up on the whole process or the, or the poison, uh, you're not going to find out because you'll be physically dead. But if you do make it back, you will remember everything and you can apply it in your daily life. And some of these people were some of the greatest teachers, innovators, and um, statesmen uh, and stateswomen of our uh, time. So, yeah, we're going to be sort of trying to cover that in three hours. <laughs> Good as luck there, yeah. Lots of slides. So, yeah, if anybody wants to come over to is it Berkeley Springs, yes. Yes. Uh, we'll all be there. It's usually packed out. And, and we have a lot of drinking afterwards. Yeah, yeah, for the uh, listeners. research. And viewers, man, I've, I've gone to Freddie's events live and they're excellent and I highly recommend it. So, and okay. yeah, the after party is always good to, to shoot the <laughs> shit and talk about all this stuff and bombard you with questions. Talk about conspiracies. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Because let's well, face it, like Darth Vader, they're much more fun. Absolutely. You know, but rem always remember that force is in the middle and is used by both light and dark. You know, exactly. don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as I like to say. So walk the middle. Exactly. Freddie, thank you again. Please Thanks, tell my listeners where they can find you. Uh, invisibletemple.com. Boom.
Simple as that. All right, man. Again, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate Congratulations it. Congratulations on your 100th, Fendi. Thank you. And uh, yeah, everybody, thank you for joining me for this 100th episode. And here's to 100 more. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Deep Share Podcast. If you want to hear more, then hit that subscribe button. Follow me on all the social places. And remember, think for yourself, but don't always believe what you think. Till next time. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Pacifaria. Enough, I get the point. You meddle with the primal forces of nature. <laughs> and you will atone. What do we know? What do we know? If oh. I know what we know, then I can tell you what we know. And if someone else knows, okay? <laughs> <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.